Good morning. If you'd like to go ahead and take your Bibles out and open them up to the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, we'll be reading just a moment from chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as you're taking your Bibles out and turning there and following along, I'd like to take just this moment to stop and thank you for, for being here with us, for choosing to come together to spend this time worshiping and praising God, lifting up one another and encouraging one another. It's certainly a wonderful opportunity that is afforded to us each and every first day of the week, uh, an opportunity that we take advantage of multiple times throughout the week, and I am very encouraged every time that I see you all here uh, with us, with me, to worship God together. Now, one of the things that we, we come to learn as, as we gather together, as we're uh, with one another, one of the things that we uh, talk about is the need for us to to be doing certain things, to be doing things that, that are pleasing to God and, and, and sometimes even sacrificial in that of ourselves. Uh, but, but that is okay because we know that these things that we are commanded to do, these things that we need to keep uh, in obedience are things that are setting us apart, that are making us righteous, not in our own eyes, not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God. That's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning, this idea of command-keeping and obedience. Uh, the idea of command-keeping, it just is not a very popular idea among many people today. Even within the church, some people equate command-keeping, they equate obedience with the idea of legalism. Others look at it as a kind of an unpleasant task. Maybe they feel as if that devolves them a little bit back to possibly when, when they were children, back when they didn't have full control over what they did and said and how they acted and 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 maybe not wanting to real uh, to relinquish that that control to anyone else but themselves but keeping the commandments of God it should not be looked upon by Christians in this way and in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 Paul talks about this <clears throat> he has been given much information in 1 Corinthians 7 specifically regarding the purpose of the of the letter that he has written the, the Corinthians had written a letter to Paul uh, sometime after Paul had left Corinth, they had let, written a letter to him and had some questions for him. And in chapter 7, he's getting down finally, after this very long introduction of six chapters, to answering these questions. And specifically, these questions had revolved around things regarding the roles of marriage, and regarding the role of divorce, and, the, and, and also the role of sex that it would play in the life of a Christian. And right in the middle of all this, he makes this comment here in verse 19 that I want to focus on. He says in verse 19, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. In this lesson this morning, I would like for us to consider some things about obedience. Consider some things about keeping the commandments of God, as Paul put it, which I hope will affect our feelings that we may have towards, the, towards that idea of obedience. Whether that be a, a negative feeling or a positive feeling, I hope that we can affect ourselves a little bit as we consider what the Bible says to us about obedience. What I want to begin is what is our proper attitude that we should have when it comes towards commandment keeping? And the first thing to note is it should not be the idea of legalism. That term, just in case you're not familiar with that, legalism is the idea that one can earn, one can merit their salvation based upon their obedience, based upon the things that they have done. You follow the letter of the law perfectly, and that is what gives you right to access heaven. It's a strict set of rules that if followed, one will win their place in heaven. 
But such an attitude is not to be a part of the Christian, uh, Christian's thought process. And, and Titus, Titus chapter 3, in verses 3 through 7, listen what Titus says. For we also once were, fool, <clears throat> were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, <clears throat> excuse me, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, I know I did say that Titus said those words, and I apologize. Paul said those words, and I got myself mixed up there. But Paul was saying that it is not legalism. It is not a, a strict obedience to the law that is going to make us worthy of entering heaven. It is the grace of God. You see, no matter how well we follow the law of righteousness, one cannot earn their salvation, but it is afforded them through grace. But unfortunately, because the, 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 the thought of legalism is so prevalent, many react to legalism by going to the extreme opposite and saying, well, keeping commandments then is just not important. We don't have to keep commandments because we have grace. But Paul, who's, again, one who would, writing in both of these letters and one who would never be accused of legalism, he is the one that's pinning our text, and he has a different perspective on, on the, the view of obedience and the view of, of commandment keeping. And it's a perspective that I would like us to take some time considering today. So we will keep in our mind 1 Corinthians 7, verse 19, that phrase that he said there, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. That's the, the words of Paul there. Keep that in mind, and let's turn over to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul again is talking, and he is going to use this phrase again. It should sound familiar to us. Galatians 5 verse 6. He's going to say, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. So there's our phrase again that he used in, in 1 Corinthians. But look what he follows it up with this time. But faith working through love. I would like to challenge us to think about obedience, to think about command keeping as not legalism, but rather faith working through love, an expression of our faith working through love. By keeping the commandments, I demonstrate my faith. That's what James tells us in James chapter 2. James chapter 2 verse 14 as James talks about the need for works and how faith without works is dead. He says in verse 14, what use is it, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may say, or may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So to keep the commandments, to be obedient to God, I demonstrate the faith that I have to Him, but also to be obedient, to keep the commandments, I show my love. 
Turn over to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14 and in verse 15, we read this. If you love me, the words of Jesus, you will keep my commandments. And then in chapter 15, verse 14, he says again, You are my friends if you do what I command you. This is how we show Jesus our love for him. One might say that this is Jesus' love language. If you've never heard uh, about love languages, that's, it's a wonderful tool in, in keeping uh, the, the love in your, in your relationship with your spouse alive. But it's, it's specifically seen here in Jesus describing how he wants us to show our love to him. Maybe you've had that feeling before. You've wanted to show your spouse you love them. And you think, well, what do I really like? And what I really like, that's what I'll, I'll do for my, my, my spouse. And maybe they'll know then how much I love them. But the fact is you show your love for someone in very many different ways. And it really doesn't matter one bit how you do it unless it's done in a way which actually speaks something to them. Now, I'll give you an example of this. I can sweet talk my, my lovely wife. I can sweet talk her all day long. From the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, I can tell her how much I love her and how wonderful she is and how beautiful she is. And I can hug her and I can kiss her. And, and I don't want to paint her in a bad light. She's going to love that very much. She's going to appreciate that very much. I don't want to misidentify her. But I also know that her love language I, what I can do to show her my real love for her is much more simpler, really, in my eyes, maybe not in hers, but just to remember what her favorite snack is. If I go out and get her some Hershey's chocolate and a Coke Freeze, that's going to mean a lot to her to surprise her with that. Now we're really talking. That's going to convey my love to her in a language that really speaks to her. And you know what? I'm different, and so are each and every one of you. But notice this. Whenever we want to show our love for Jesus, we need to show it in a way that speaks to Him. There are many things that we can do and many things the world does that says that really should show our love for Jesus. If we do this or we do that, doesn't that show how much that we love Jesus? And yet Jesus has told us, this is how you show me how much you love me, by keeping my commandments. And you know what? We're going to see that it's quite the same when it comes to God. Turn over to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 and in verse 3. There it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So similar we see, to show our love for God is done in quite the same way. And we need to notice that qualifier at the end of that statement in verse 3. That his commandments are not very burdensome. We need to remember what John has said here, and we're going to come back to that point in a minute, and we're going to come back to think about that. But in the meantime, let's remember this is how we are, this is faith working through love. Our obedience is showing our faith, and it's showing our love for Jesus, and showing our love for God. And also in verse 2, if we go back just to just one verse, in verse 2 of chapter 5, it says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. So that also by obedience and by command keeping, I show you that I love you. This is what the Word of God tells us. And one might think maybe, well, that's good. That's good in all love. We need that. But 
is it, is it really that necessary? I mean, does God really need me to show my love for his children or even my love for him? Can't God just know my heart? Can't he just see what's in my mind? Well, let's turn back a moment to 1 John chapter 4. And in verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We see in, in, in the, all through the book of 1 John and in John's, epistle, uh, John's gospel, we see that love is something that comes back to over and over again. Love is a very important thing when it comes to knowing God and having a relationship with God. And so when thought of in this way, obedience, command keeping, and the relationship that it has with knowing God and loving Him and showing our faith, all of a sudden that obedience becomes very important. But maybe another way that we can think about it. We remember 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19, that, that what really matters is keeping the commands. But maybe another way to think about it is the way Paul uses that terminology again in Galatians, but this time in chapter 6. We looked at Galatians 5. Now let's look at Galatians 6 and verse 15. When here he says, For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision. Again, there's our phrase that he's used already twice. But notice what he says here, but a new creation cannot keeping the commandments, cannot being obedient to God be thought of as, as helping us to produce a new creature, a new creation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to learn that's something that is desired of us, and it's a blessing that we enjoy by being in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. But to enjoy that blessing, it involves obedience. It involves keeping certain commands. For example, to enjoy that blessing, to be in Christ and to be a new creature, a new creation. Galatians chapter 3 tells us that we have to be baptized. Galatians 3, verse 27, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So to be in Christ, we must be baptized. We must be, we must be clothed with Him. And also, putting off and putting on certain qualities to become like Christ. Look over at Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, we talked about this passage on, on Wednesday night in our, in, uh, in, in our worship assembly. But in Colossians chapter 3, there's a lot of things we read about here, about the, the, the things that we are told to, to put off and to put on, the things that we are commanded to do to be a new creature. It says, starting in verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We read here at the beginning of this passage that, that Christ is creating a new image or a, a, a new creature within us. We are being renewed to His true knowledge according to the image of the one who created Him. And in being, that, being made into this new creation, there's some things that we need to do. We need to put off 
these sinful things of the old man. He goes on to say in verse 11, a renewal to which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free men, but Christ is in all, excuse me, is all and in all. But then in verse 12, he says, there are some things that we've, we've taken out, but now we have some things that we need to put back in their place. If you've ever had an, uh, an addiction or a habit that you wanted to break, you, are, you will understand what is, Paul is talking about here quite well. Because you can empty out, you can take the things that are, that are there and, and remove them from you. But if you don't put something back in their place, they're going to slide right back into that hole that they came out of. And so that is what Paul talks about here. We've removed these evil things from our life. But that's left a hole in our life that we need to fill. And so what do we fill it with? Verse 12, so, the, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell with you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. What we see then is there are a lot of commandments given in Colossians chapter 3. Commandments that are given to help us. Commandments that are given to create a new creature. These are to create a creature and to enjoy all the wonderful blessings that come with that new creation. In fact, in fact, what we see in Colossians 3 and what we see throughout the entire Bible is that there are no commandments. There are zero examples of commandments that actually make our life worse. Now certainly there are some which may be harder to follow than others and none of them are, are impossible and, and none of, but also none of them are going to have negative effects on our life. Now, I, I put that in quotes because remember, the life that we're talking about here is not the physical life that we are living today. There, there are so many in the world today that say, if you just follow God, your life is going to be wonderful. These wonderful things are coming your way. You tell God you love Him and just sit back and wait for the doors of opportunity to open. Your bank account's going to grow. Your health is going to get better. Your friends are going to, are going to see this and they're going to want to be just like you and then everything's going to be wonderful. Well, that's not what the Bible tells us. We see that over and over again, that, that Jesus warns that persecutions are coming, that through many trials and, and tribulations we will enter the kingdom of heaven. We need to remember the life that we're talking about is our spiritual life. By following the commandments of God, many Christians in this first century, they lost their homes. They lost their property, even their lives to the Roman Empire. But as we have been studying throughout this, this, our Wednesday evenings, throughout the book of Revelation, we see that there is a blessing attached to obedience and to overcoming and keeping the commandments of God. A blessing to their spiritual life that far outweighed the cost to their physical one. To those first century Christians, they looked at it and said, it is worth it to me to lose my home, to lose my, 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 my property, my life, and gain Christ. To gain everything. And so when we begin to think of keeping commandments of God as creating a new creature in us, one that looks at even its physical life and says it is worth it to lose this to gain Christ, then again, obedience starts to become very important. And I believe this is the proper attitude towards command keeping. 
a demonstration of our faith and our love and part of the process by which we become a new creation in Christ. But then we come back to that question that is oftentimes thought of, but isn't command keeping, isn't that really hard and laborious and require a lot of work? And isn't that something that's unpleasant? Why? I mean, isn't that something that we, should, we, we, we really just should look at and go, well, that's going to be really, really tough to do. And I think it's easy for us to think that on the surface, to look at this and go, wow, that's, that's a lot of commands. That must be something that's really hard to do. That must be a difficult task, but let's, let's let those who have done it the longest answer that question. Remember again 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. What did the Apostle John there say? If we were to ask him, aren't, aren't commandments, isn't obedience and keeping the commandments of God, isn't that a hard job? What was his response? His commandments are not very burdensome. Now John was told to do a lot. John was told at, at the crucifixion of Jesus to care for his mother. John was told to hold up and speak the word of God no matter the cost, which included being exiled on the island of Patmos. That certainly wasn't an island getaway. There were really very real hard things that Paul had to do and to overcome in his walk with Christ. And yet, to answer that question, he says, no, they weren't that burdensome. They weren't that difficult. And you know, I strongly suspect that if you were to ask any member of the church that has been within the, uh, been a member for some time, maybe some of our, our elderly members here at Lake Street, if you were to ask the elderly saints that, that, that isn't this a difficult thing to, to be obedient, to follow God, that they would probably agree with John or maybe with the psalmist in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 verses 129 through 136. Listen to what the psalmist writes. It says, Your testimonies are wonderful, and therefore my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me. After your manner with those who love your name, establish my footsteps in your word. And do not let iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the impression of man that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. The psalmist got it. He got it that keeping the commandments of God was a joyful thing, was a pleasure, was something that he looked forward to. Uh, John said they are not a burden. And so what we see is that probably the hardest part then about keeping the commandments of God, about being obedient to Him, is not actually in the doing. It's in the deciding to do. Laboring over whether or not to make the decision is oftentimes harder than actually carrying it out. We can see this as an example often with even our children. We give our children a command, or maybe our parents gave us a command to do something. Go clean your room, take out the garbage, sweep out the garage. And these things, they seem very hard to do, to get yourself up off the couch or wherever you have been to go and to do what your parents have told you to do. But really, the hardest part is often just making the decision to do it and do it willingly. Once it's done, the chore oftentimes seems like it's not even a chore at all. And the same is true with keeping the commandments of God. An example that we might use is baptism. 
Baptism seems like such a hard thing to do. And the hardest part about coming to God in obedience and turning to Him and, and, and submitting to Him in baptism is choosing to come to Him. I used to beg. I remember we were trying to teach Madden to swim. And I would say, Madden, I want you to jump off the side of the pool to Daddy. I want you to jump to me. And he would say, well, can I come down the stairs? I want to walk in down the stairs and I'll, I'll come to you. And I said, no, I want you to jump off the side. He said, well, let me, let me grab a float and let me, let me take a float with me. And I said, no, I just want you to jump to me. He said, well, maybe if I climb down the ladder, can I climb down the ladder? And I said, no, I just want you to jump to me. Because there are many different ways to get in the pool and none of them were wrong. They would all have the same outcome that I would, he would be in the water. But none of them were what I instructed him to do. None of them were, were pleasing to me because I had said to jump to me. And once he finally chose to do that, once he finally chose to jump in, to trust me that I'm not going to, to, to drop him, I'm not going to let him sink to the bottom of the pool, then he jumped. And he realized that it wasn't as scary as he thought. And he realized that overcoming that hurdle actually opened the door to more things. Because once he trusted me, it strengthened his trust in me to perform more instructions that I'd given him and actually to have a whole lot more fun than just standing on the outside of the pool. You know, we see the same things in baptism. We want so many different ways to come to Christ. Can't I just, can't I just say that I believe you? Can't I just say that I, that I am going to serve you? Can't I just open my heart to you? And all of these different ways... In, in, in the world, say, yes, that is, that is acceptable. But Jesus has said, here is how you come to me. Here is how your sins are removed. Here is how that you receive forgiveness and you, you are brought into the kingdom through baptism. And the decision to make that choice is so oftentimes harder than the actually following the commandments that God has given to come to Him. But I also believe and that same point is the fact, obedience, making that decision, it makes it easier for us knowing that we have the help of God and the help of Christ. Sometimes we think, I don't know if I can do that because I'm, I'm, I'm so weak. I know that I'm not going to be able to, to do everything that is commanded in here. I'm going to fall. And you know what? God speaks of that. Paul spoke of it in 1 Corinthians 10. In verse 13, he said, No temptation has overtaken you, but such is as common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. God will protect and God will provide as we try to keep His commandments. He will protect you from what you are unable to overcome. When you are struggling with a temptation, you think, my, this is really hard, and, and I'm struggling so much with this. Realize that God thinks you can handle this. God says, I know you're strong enough to handle that, and that's why I'm allowing you to go through this temptation because I know that you can overcome. He has faith in you. So increase your faith in Him. And then He will also provide a way of escape for you. There is a way out that doesn't involve following Satan, but rather following Him. And let's look for that way and follow it, knowing that He gives us strength. Maybe we'll see that, that in obedience, following obedience is not a burden. Following in obedience turns into a grace when we see it in that manner. We also see that we are not alone. Look over in Philippians. Paul spoke much about the need that he had for God. Again, while we say that there was no way that Paul was relying on legalism, relying on his letter, obeying the letter of the law to perfection, he was striving his hardest to do that, but he knew that he needed God. 
In Philippians 2, verse 12, he said, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to, to will and to work for his good pleasure. And also in chapter 4, verse 13, he said there, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How comforting is it to know that even when the task at hand seems large, even in the cost seems great, we know that we are not working alone. We are working together with God. He is working as an aid for us and strengthening us, even at a time when physically we look around us and see nobody standing with us. When we feel like we are the only ones making, making the stand, we are the only ones to... to dealing with this problem and everyone else has left us, we know that God is still there. Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul said to Timothy in verse 16, At my first defense, no one supported me. All deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through, my, through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I think Paul understood what John understood, what the psalmist understood, that obeying God, that keeping his commandments was a glorious thing. It was not a burden. It was not a, a taxing uh, a commitment. It was something that brought him great joy and brought glory to God. It wasn't for his benefit, but for the benefit of God, to show his faith to the world, to show his love to God and to the world, and so that God might be highlighted all the more. And these blessings and these assurances of faith, they come to those who, like Paul, live as though what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. So how important is the keeping of the commandments of God? How important is obedience? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 tells us it's essential to receiving mercy from God. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. It is essential to receiving mercy. It is essential to receiving love. In the abiding presence of God, John 14, verse 23 says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we, Jesus and God, we will come to him and make our abode with him. And 1 John 3, 22 tells us it is essential to having our prayers answered. It says, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Friends and brethren, I ask you this morning, how are you in keeping the commandments of God? Are you obedient? This morning, if you have not become a child of God, if you have not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, if you have not been baptized so that your sins might washed away, be washed away and repented, turn back uh, from, from a, a life of sin, a life of choosing to do things my way, to a life of, of righteousness, following God to become a new creature. But this morning you are not keeping His commandments. And so this, this promise of mercy and this promise of love and abiding presence, they are not yours this morning. 
But we are not a people without hope. We are not a people that are so lost that we can't be redeemed. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, uh, in responding to the people who had screamed and begged that Jesus be put on that cross, that He be crucified, that He be brutally murdered and killed, coming to the realization that they had done that to the Son of God, they asked the question that every one of us needs to ask as we realize that sin is in our lives. They said, what can we do? And Peter said, repent. And each one of you, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That gift in that day was the gift of a renewed spirit. It was the gift of a renewed life, a renewed relationship with God. And that is the same gift that is still available to you today. If you would desire to come to Him, won't you please do so now? Won't you come forward as we stand and as we sing?